Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would now, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of Philippians and chapter number 4, Philippians and the fourth chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible, turn in the back portion of it to page 156, and you will be at Philippians chapter 4. You know, the human brain is the most complex organizational structure in all of the created universe. It only weighs about four pounds, they tell me, but it has about 100 billion nerve cells in it. And there are 10,000 varieties of nerve cells, and each of those nerve cells is connected to 10,000 supportive cells. And I don't know if you knew it or not, but in order to make your brain function properly, there are 100 different chemicals in it. And what is interesting to me is that we use part of our brain every day. And some of that is reflected in this little article I wanted to read to you. It says, let's say, for example, that as you are reading this article, you are eating a sandwich. As you are reading, the frontal lobes in your cerebral cortex are engaged in thinking and reasoning. You are enjoying your delicious sandwich thanks to your parietal lobes, which are responsible for taste, texture, and smell of food. The occipital lobes help to process how you see the words on the page, and the temporal lobes help you process what you hear, like the crunch of your sandwich and the rustle of the page. Meanwhile, you just blinked because of your motor area, and it is because of your cerebellum that you're able to hold the sandwich in your hand, as well as anything else you're doing right now that calls for balance and coordination, like sitting. Without having to think about it, you are breathing, digesting your sandwich, and circulating blood thanks to your brain stem. Your metabolism and hormonal functions, like the ones that control the water and sugar levels in your body, are currently being controlled by your pituitary gland. And if you're sitting outside on a park bench on a cold, wintry day, your hypothalamus is responsible for the fact that you are shivering. You remember what you're reading due to your hippocampus, whose job it is to transform short-term to long-term memory. The brain is an amazing thing. In fact, there's more electronics in your brain than all the radio and television stations in the world combined. Now, an evolutionist would look at our brain and say, well, that accidentally evolved. But the reality is it had to be designed and it had to be created. And we use our brains to focus and to think and to consider and to make choices. We've come to Philippians chapter 4 and we have given a title to the whole chapter that goes like this. Maintaining right choices is vital to the spiritual life. And we have been stating that the choices you make, make you, and they make me. And we've been sharing some quotes about choices. Last time, we talked about how there are always two choices, two paths to take. One is easy, but its only reward is that it's easy. 
And this morning I want to share with you a quote about choices by Eric Allenbaugh. He says this, Every choice moves us closer or farther away from something. Where are your choices taking your life? And as we have been working our way through chapter 4, we have seen a number of choices that are laid out for us by Paul. In verses 2 to 5, he says, choose to diffuse disharmony. In verses 6 and 7, he says, choose prayer over anxiety. Now today we come to verses 8 and 9, where he says to you and to me, choose to focus wisely. And if you have your Bible open to chapter 4 and verse 8 and 9, I'd like to read those verses, invite you to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading what Paul says to us here. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. How we employ our brains, what we think about, the focus that we choose to have in our life will impact how fully we experience a joyful life. How many people want to have a joyful life? Yeah, that's what we all want to experience. Well, how we use our brains and what we think about and the focus that we choose to have will impact whether we experience a joyful life. In other words, our thought life is pivotal. There's an old computer term, G-I-G-O, that has a lot of truth to it. That's garbage in, garbage out. What it's really saying for us as, as individuals is that what we feed our brain tends to seep into our perspective about life. What occupies our mind will leak into our speech and our actions. I've always liked this little saying by a guy named Frank Outlaw. He said this, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character and watch your character, it becomes your destiny. What we allow, what this is saying is what we allow to course through our minds will impact our perspective and our words and our actions and our character. After the first service, um, Mark Burgett gave me this little thing that he wrote down uh, during the message. It says this, the two basic laws of psychology… By the way, who made human beings? God did. Who understands human beings to the max? God does. What is psychology? It's really nothing more than the study of human beings. But here's the two basic laws of psychology. The law of cognition. You tend to become what you spend your time thinking about. And then the law of exposure. You tend to think about what you allow yourself to be exposed to. And then he wrote, these laws work whether the input is positive or negative. That's exactly what's being laid out here for us by the Apostle Paul. The thrust is we are to choose to focus wisely. 
And the emphasis of verse 8 is basically this. We need to think right. We need to have the right perspective. And then in verse 9, he's going to say, we need to live right. We need to have the right practice in our life. And again, what we focus on and think about and ponder and consider will have a huge impact in our experience of joy in our life. And by the way, these verses may be more applicable today than ever before in human history. Because right now, we're in a unique period of time where we are virtually bombarded by negative messages. And those negative messages come at us a lot of ways. They come at us through written material. It comes out by way of uh, talk radio and uh, television news, which we now get 24 hours a day. And I want you to just imagine something with me. Just imagine this was happening to you. Maybe you have a day off. Or, or maybe you're home ill, and I know this kind of thing has happened to me from time to time, and you choose to spend your whole day watching and listening to various things in the media. So you got your whole day off, you're spending and watching and listening to things in the media. Now let me ask you this question, if that's true. What is being pumped into your brain during that time? Well, what's pumped into our brains is, for example, what is wrong we will hear about what is wrong with the refereeing in athletic contests. We'll hear what is wrong with the play calling of coaches. We'll hear what is wrong with political officials. We'll hear what is wrong with businesses and corporations. We'll hear what is wrong with schools. We'll hear what is wrong with the economy. We will also be exposed to events that are dark and negative and evil. We'll hear a lot about weather catastrophes, and we'll hear about wars, and we'll hear about terrorist acts. We'll hear about child abuse. We'll hear about fatal accidents that occurred. We'll hear about murders and shootings and riots. Now, again, we're playing this little game. You're imagining that you're being exposed to this stuff all day long. You spend a day watching and listening. What's the impact that that has on you? How do you feel at the end of that time? What perspective do you have about life? Well, I, I know what it's like because I felt that way. It's very easy with all of that coming into our brain and into our thought process to have a sense of uneasiness and a sense of foreboding, to be filled with some apprehension and some consternation. In fact, it can get to where you even feel agitation which is very different than being joyful. Well, the thrust of chapter 4 and verse 8 is what we need to do is lift our focus higher. We need to allow into our brain more than just what is wrong out there and what is dark and what is negative and what is evil. Now think about the impact of all of that stuff we for home watching all day long. And I want to I contrast that with something a little different. It has a different flavor to it. I want to show you a video clip from CBS News that is about an autistic teenager, Jason uh, McElwain, who is the manager of his high school basketball team. Now, just notice the different kind of impact such a story would have. Watch the, the video on this. <laughs> Grace Athena High School in Rochester, New York, has a new, most unlikely hero, 
a special ed student by the name of Jason McElwain. Let's keep it going. Jason is the basketball team manager. For the past couple years, he's been assisting coach Jim Johnson, helping with whatever the team needs. And go! Get him motivated and uh, hand out water and just be enthusiastic. Enthusiastic, to say the least. Despite being born with autism, Jason's father says his son has never had a problem expressing himself at basketball games. You know, I was always concerned that he might get a technical and they lose a game because he, you know, start yelling or whatever. Let's have a hard practice tomorrow, all hour and a half, and let's get ready for Arcadia. Okay. Let's go. One, two, three, two. Because he has been so devoted to the team, for the last game of the season, Coach Johnson decided to let Jason actually suit up. Not to play necessarily, just to let him feel what it's like to wear a jersey. At least that was the plan. But with four minutes to go in last week's game, Coach Johnson stood up and pointed to number 52, Jason McElwain. After years of fetching water and toweling off other people's sweat, Jason was actually in a game. His first shot was a 20-footer from the right baseline. Was it close? Did you almost make I just, it? I just airballed it. <laughs> I'm like, just, dear God, please, let's just get him a basket. His second shot missed too, but the third was a charm. A three-point no-doubter. And Jason wasn't done yet. Not by a long shot. If I wasn't there to witness it, I wouldn't have believed it, you know. You caught fire. I just caught fire. I was hot as a pistol. Jason ended up shooting six three-pointers. One right after the other. He had 20 points total. And each time a shot went in, his teammates and the crowd went a little crazier. His last basket, right at the buzzer, created total mayhem because he is autistic Jason says he's used to feeling different but never this different never this wonderful Steve Hartman CBS News Rochester New York quite a story isn't it and it elicits a whole different kind of a response you see, what we focus on has a direct effect on our outlook on life and our focus in life. Let your eyes go back to chapter 4 and verse 8 of Philippians. And I want you to notice the verse begins this way. He says, finally, brethren. Now, it's not that he's really making his final point here. It's more like he's saying this. I want to cover an additional key point for your spiritual life and mine. And what he gives us here in verse 8 is a menu for the mind. And so we have this list about what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good repute. And I just want you to know something about this list. It is not an exhaustive list. It's not a strict checklist that we're to go down through. I believe he's giving us illustrations here and examples of the kinds of things that we're to focus on. I base that on the fact that at the end of it he goes, if there is anything of excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. It's not like he's saying this is the whole list, but these are the kinds of things that we need to feed our mind with. And you notice he says there, the basic command in verse 8 is dwell on these things. The word in the original is the word logizo, L-O-G-I-Z-O. And if you look it up in a 
Greek dictionary, it gives you these as the top two definitions of this word. Number one, it can mean to reckon or to calculate. It would be used to describe what you would do with a detailed math problem. You would reckon it. You would have to calculate. The idea is deliberate contemplation on something. And then the second meaning of the word, it means to ponder or to let your mind dwell. And so that's the thrust for us here. We are to dwell on these things. We are to deliberately contemplate them. We're to ponder them. I like the New Living Translation. It says, fix your thoughts on these things. Focus your attention on, he's saying, what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and of good repute. Now, I want to stop for just a moment because someone might say, wait a second now, how does this fit with the real world? Paul is saying we need to to focus on what is true and honorable and so forth. I mean, is he trying to say that we're to be uh, Pollyannas, you know, who are out there just blindly optimistic about everything? Is he saying we're to be naive and and brainless and, and gullible patsies who are uninformed and undiscerning about what's going on morally and politically and economically? Is he He's saying we're to be sort of dummies who are easily hoodwinked and exploited? No, he's not saying that. And we need to take into account all of the Word of God when we're studying the Word of God. We know from Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, when Jesus was sending out the disciples, he said, I'm sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. You're going to live in a real world out there. And so we need to be shrewd. We need to be wary. We need to be prudent, not naive. And we need to be innocent as doves with pure motives and pure intentions. But here's the key question. We had it as part of the quote that we shared with you earlier about choices. Here's the key question. Where are your choices taking your life? It's going to make a difference if we focus rightly, if we have the right perspective, if we dwell on the positive. See, that's really what Paul is saying here. And by the way, when we talked about being home all day and having all of this stuff come crashing in on us, do you know that when you dwell on that which is dishonorable and impure and negative and destructive and all kinds of speculations about things and individuals and their motives, you know what it does? It distorts reality. It really does. Because reality is that God is large and in charge. Reality is that God is always working His plan. The reality is that God is always about expanding His kingdom. But when we just feed our mind with all of this stuff, the last thing we're thinking about is reality. We're not thinking about that God is always large and in charge, that He is always working His plan. There is nothing that happens that is outside of the plan of God. He is ever about expanding His kingdom. He is always doing that 24 hours, seven days a week, right? But the impact is when we allow ourselves to be filled and we dwell on all this other stuff is we begin to have all kinds of contrary feelings. We might begin to feel a little self-pity. I can't believe that... Life is going like this for me. Why am I living through this decade and so forth? There's frustration. There's resentment. There is sometimes even depression that can come. 
And we become focused on fear or on anger. We're just so mad about everything. I was thinking about this past weekend, you know, and, and, and we were up in Oklahoma City doing the Family Life Marriage Conference, and think about what the news was last weekend in general. The news was very focused upon consternation over health care reform. That was being blasted at us on a regular basis, and by the way, that's a very important subject matter. But while we were in Oklahoma City and all this consternation about health care reform was being blasted at us, men and women were trusting Jesus Christ in response to the gospel message being shared. And the hearts of husbands and wives were being touched and changed by the power of God. That was going to have all kinds of ripple impact into their families and into other families that could go on and on. So here's a question to think about. What were you thinking about last weekend? You know, what was on your mind? Were you overcome with all this consternation about health care reform? Or were we aware of the fact that God is large and in charge? He's always working his plan, and he's always expanding his kingdom. So here's what's interesting. We don't get to choose the circumstances that we experience in life at all, but we do get to choose our attitude and the focus of our life. So he's telling us here, focus on, dwell on, fix your thoughts on these kinds of things. Let's look at them in more detail. Long introduction to get us down really to the the meat of the verses. Just want to set a whole context for why these are so important. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true is what you should dwell on and fix your thoughts on. That's the very opposite, in my opinion, of of speculations and opinions. We are to focus on what is true. Someone said years ago, I don't know where I first heard it, um, the bad thing about an opinion is that everyone has one. (laughs) And it's so true. Um, There's a thing on the internet called the world population clock, and when I was first working on this message 12 days ago, um, I looked at it, and it said that there were at that moment in the world 6,788,000,000 people. Now, that's a lot of opinions. But I checked it this morning, and as of this morning, there are 6,791,000,000 people out there. That means 3 million more opinions than there were 12 days ago. All kinds of opinions and speculations about things, but what we need to focus on is whatever is true. John 17, 17 says that God's word is truth. And so we need to be dwelling on what it has to say. Colossians 1, 5 talks about the gospel and says the gospel is the word of truth. And we need to be thinking about the gospel and sharing the gospel message with people. The truth is, I know what our culture says, the truth is that salvation doesn't come to those who are just good enough, you know, who've stacked up enough good that God finally salutes you for being a good person. That's not the truth. The truth is that our only hope is to have faith in a divine rescuer by the name of Jesus Christ. 
You know, the, the culture wants to sell us on an opinion and a speculation, and that is that happiness primarily comes by having a lot of money and a lot of stuff. Now, really, we say we don't believe that, but in part we do, because if someone said, I'll give you a million dollars, suddenly we're so excited. And why are we really excited? Because deep in the recesses of our mind, we're thinking, I'm going to be more happy now that I have this. But that's not what the Bible has to say. That's not what the truth says. The truth says that happiness comes from knowing and walking with God. Let your mind dwell on these things. Fix your thoughts on these things. Whatever is true. Secondly, whatever is honorable. It means whatever is noble, whatever is worthy of respect. It's almost the opposite of that which is dishonorable or dishonest. I don't know if you ever stop and think about the themes that are in a lot of television shows and a lot of movies. If you go back and you think about the theme, you'll notice that it really elevates things that are dishonorable and dishonest. And we are to dwell on, to fix our thoughts on whatever is true and whatever is honorable. And then thirdly, he says, whatever is right. It means that which is just and fair. That we should be thinking about things that match God's standards, things that are just and fair. How am I to treat my employees? How am I to think about them and view them? I should want to do what is right and just and fair for them. How am I to respond to those who are less fortunate? I should seek to bring God's standards to the situation, which is part of what um, Chase and Julie want to do in Nicaragua, uh, to bring what is just and fair to those people. I have a little saying that's uh, in my office, I've shared this before, a little plaque that says, what does God think about it? And that's a good perspective to have as we just take what's going on in life and we're dwelling on it and we're wrestling with it and we're, we're thinking on it and fixing our thoughts on it. What does God think about it? What is right, just, and fair? We are to dwell on, fix our thoughts on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right. And then he says, whatever is pure. What is pure? Well, it's the opposite of smut and porn and coarse and crude humor. And, and, and you know what's amazing to me? When you've lived for a little while, you have an opportunity to actually see switches and changes in the culture. Those of you who are younger just haven't been around long enough, but if you've been around for a while, you can say, I've seen some changes. And it's amazing to me, even in the Christian community, that so much passes as acceptable these days. And yet I'm not so sure that Jesus would feel that way about it. And here's a good thing to ask yourself when you're exposing yourself to certain kinds of things. Ask yourself if Jesus would be uncomfortable if he was there as you were allowing these things to come into your brain. Or maybe would you be uncomfortable if Jesus was there? And of course, in reality, he is there. We're to dwell on, fix our thoughts on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. It refers to that which is gracious and beautiful and, and winsome. Those are the things we need to dwell on and think about. You know, the beautiful picture, the tender picture of a mother nursing a child is just a lovely, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. 
a breathtaking sunset. That's the kind of a beautiful, lovely thing that we should allow our minds to dwell on. And I think about what goes on a lot inside of families, and I know this because of my own family and our own tendencies. But you know what happens a lot of times in a relationship between a husband and a wife and parents and children is this. We have this tendency to become riveted on the weaknesses and the shortcomings of our spouse or the weaknesses and the shortcomings of our children versus what we admire about them, what is lovely and beautiful about them. Isn't it interesting how that works? Sometimes we need to do what someone has said. We just need to catch our spouse and our children doing good because we have such a tendency to focus on the negative rather than the positive, that which is lovely and beautiful. We're to fix our thoughts on. We're to dwell on what is true and what is honorable and what is right and what is pure and what is lovely and whatever is of good repute. I think the NIV says whatever is admirable. We could call it whatever is commendable. I think the emphasis here is we're to focus on what is constructive rather than what is destructive, on things like kindness and respect for others. Think about that video clip again. Why do we respond so much to that? Because you saw this incredible kindness and respect for an autistic boy who was doing this once. And did you notice the crowd? I mean, the whole place went nuts when he came off the bench. And then, you know, more nuts and more nuts as he was making shots. And then they're just hoisting him at the end. And we just respond with that because that is a very constructive thing. It's an admirable thing. It's a commendable thing. And we, of course, all wish that our news would include more of those kinds of things. Let your mind fix on what is admirable and commendable, like people's generosity. That's really what we ought to dwell on. And then he says, just the qualifier, if there's any excellence, if there's anything out there that will make you better, if there's anything worthy of praise, like the appreciation of God's grace, Dwell on those things. Fix your thoughts on those things. Focus your attention on those things. Lift your focus higher is what he's saying to us. We are to think right. We're to have the right perspective. And then, in turn, we are to live right. We're to have the right practice. Let those things filter out into our life. Not only ponder such things, but put them into practice. Notice again verse 9, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The things that I've taught, the things that I've modeled, practice these things. And by the way, that little phrase, practice this, is a lifestyle command. He's saying go out and live this stuff out in your life. One of the things that really stands out to me about verse 9 is the very special promise at the end of it. Notice he says, the things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And he doesn't just say, you will have peace. He says, the God of peace will be with you. More than just having and experiencing peace, the God of peace will be with you. He will walk closer to you. You will experience a deeper dimension in your relationship with Christ. The reality of his presence will be even more real. And the peace that he brings will be rich. 
See, here's basically what he has just told us in verses 8 and 9. When you think right and you live right, you will be blessed. You will have a joyful life. So the question that I need to wrestle with this morning and the question that you should be wrestling with is this. Where are your choices taking your life? Do we want to conclude by just looking briefly at some life application? And it's going to be very simple, men and women, very, very simple. The life application from what we've looked at this morning is this. Practice these principles. Take some time with this section of the Word of God to sit down and allow the Holy Spirit to talk to you. To to basically say, how does my life need to be altered based on what these verses have to say? And it may mean that you need to do some evaluation. Some evaluation of what you watch on television. What you watch in the movies. It may mean that God would be bumping you and saying, you know what, you need to change the channels. Maybe there needs to be less news. Um, maybe there needs to be some Christian radio. Uh, maybe there needs to be more worship music that you're exposing yourself to, making a CD of it or putting it on your iPod. Maybe there needs to be more Scripture input than there is all this media input. Practice these principles Maybe God will be saying that you need to examine some conversations that you have uh, at home or at work or even with friends. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, again, we want to thank you for the living book, the truth of the Word of God. And, and Father, this, this is being laid out for us because we need it. We're always being avalanched with all this negative stuff. And it's not that we're to be unaware of it, but to dwell on it leads us to places and leads us to feelings that we don't want to experience. Father, may we realize that you know what you're talking about. And you know the hearts of humanity. And I think of what it says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. I love the New Living Translation. It says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Help us, Father, to dwell on that which we should so that we can experience a joyful life on a consistent basis. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.